We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 25. We're right, I've been in chapter 12 for a month, almost. <laughs> All right, we're going, to, we're going to finish up chapter 12 this week, and we get to move on to a new, a new chapter. Yay! So <laughs> All right, we're going to start in verse 19 and go through 25. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god, not of man! At once, the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open your word to us here this morning. Lord, I pray you would send your Holy Spirit right now into our spirits and our minds to comprehend and, Lord, into our hearts to understand. Uh, Lord, the word of God, as as I preach here this morning, Lord, speak through me and God, equip us, Lord Jesus, for the work of ministry here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So have you ever seen those videos on YouTube? Um, I started watching them this morning and I was like, I can't show these. There's a lot of cussing. So (laughs) a lot of cursing. There's these like videos, you know, where, you know, you know, getting, you know, someone showing someone getting cut off by someone else or being rude or road raging, dangerous on the road. And immediately they get pulled over by a cop. Or they get, or they like crash, <laughs> right? I saw this one where this Audi was being insane, like going all in and out of traffic, and all of a sudden, like his back right tire blew, and he like into the into the road into the median. And you know, or like you know, there's a, you know this set of robbers, you know, getting leaving the the store and running across the street, and bam, getting hit by a car, right after they robbed this convenience store. Or, you know, like I said, like the road rage guy, you know, you know, trying to cut off the other person and flipping his own car. A guy trying to steal a, a manhole cover only to fall into the hole <laughs> and bust up his hand. A guy's car getting covered in sticky notes because he illegally parked in the handicapped spot and all the people around saw it and were mad. So they covered his car in blue stick, uh, sticky notes. When I see someone driving stupid, you know, speeding like crazy or being super just reckless and and ridiculous on the road, I'm just like, ah, where is a cop when you need one? And sometimes I get the joy of seeing it. (laughs) I'm like, ah, as as the world likes to call it, you know, instant karma is what they like like to call it, you know, but sometimes I just, I just, I really love and enjoy seeing justice being served. And I think there's a lot of us that are in that, in that field where there's evil being done, where there's wrong being performed, when there is um, just wickedness and destruction happening. We want to see um, justice. We want to see um, an end to the evil, right? 
That's why a lot of people do, you know, have a concealed carry, right? That's why a lot of people will carry firearms around with them is to help in the case of something crazy, like at Walmart going, going down or at the mall, something, you know, nuts going down. You know, it's one of those things. It's like the, I hope I never have to use it type deals. But we love seeing justice, justice served. We love seeing vindication and evils and wrongs um, being, being vindicated. Um, and this is what we're seeing in our passage here today. We're seeing vindication. We're seeing justice. These things, the, you know, the death of Herod and the expansion of the gospel, all of these things bring relief to the victims and their families. We can feel mournful for people who do wrong and choose to do the wrong and, and ruin their lives, such as Herod. But God is just. And no one and nothing is beyond the justice of God in the world. No ruler, no authority, no hoodlum, no one is too great or too small for God not to see what they've done. And they're also not too far gone to see the Lord, to experience His grace and His mercy, if they will receive it. And this is where we see, this is where the wrath of God is found, but it's also, like I said, where the mercy of God is found. Because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says, says the Lord. If we do wrong, there are still physical, practical, worldly consequences. You do something dumb, you get put in jail or you get a ticket. You go in speed, you get ticketed. You drink and drive, you get ticketed, license taken away, car taken away. You know this, right? You do something dumb, there are, spirit, there are physical, worldly consequences and oftentimes in our spirit, in our, in our, our conscience is seared by our wrongdoing. But when we throw ourselves upon Christ, when we give Him glory, He has mercy. He has grace. And in, in Christ, we are, like we said, we are all new creations. If you, are a, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old, I love this word, has, past tense, past. The new has Come, when Jesus sees you, he sees Christ. I'm sorry, when the Father sees you, he sees Christ. The entire record of, like, you know, Colossians, Colossians 1 says, you know, the entire debt against you has been nailed to the cross, has been crucified with Christ. Even the paper that all of your transgressions were written upon was nailed to Jesus. There's no more paper to Christ to write any more transgressions or sins on. But remember, this is a freedom from sin. It's the freedom from those things, not freedom to do those things. He has set you free from these things. But I want you to remember that when, when Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you put your faith and your trust and your allegiance upon the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you receive Christ's righteousness, he bestows his, he lavishes his mercy. He lavishes his grace. So even if we do something stupid, which we often do, right? Amen. We're still growing. We're still, we're changing our minds. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? 
that he is, is inv- inviting us to the table because he already forgave that sin 2,000 years ago. And so it's not that we're asking God for forgiveness, we're thanking him for his forgiveness. And we're receiving the change of mind. We're receiving and engaging and walking by his Holy Spirit so that we don't do that stupid thing again. We have the freedom to grow in righteousness and grow in godly living. He saves us from perishing under his wrath and gives us eternal life. And this is why so many people have problems with the gospel. This is why it's, a, it's so offensive, both to the religious and the worldly. Because the religious think that you have to do something in order to gain righteousness, in order to gain God's forgiveness, in order to gain God's mercy. We have to apply the grace of God by asking His, asking his forgiveness versus engaging with Him because of His forgiveness, drawing near the throne of grace to receive that mercy in a time of need. But here's the thing, because the gospel says that anyone, anyone, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, homosexuals, transgenders, anyone, even you, can be saved. Anyone. No one is too far gone. No one is too full of sin. No one has done too much in order to, that God would not lavish his mercy and grace on them as much, if not more, than he's lavished it on you. Because what does Romans 5 say? Where there is much transgression and sin, there's more grace. His grace abounds even more because they need more of it. So we can look at the worst of sinners out there in the world and be like, oh, there's so much grace waiting for you, dude. There's so much grace waiting for you, girl. Just come and receive it. You're not too far gone. No matter what they've done, people can be saved. And that's what is both scandalous and glory. Herod could have been saved. The villain in our story could have been saved if he would have just changed his mind, believed the gospel, and received salvation, and received the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't. He doesn't give God glory. And he gets struck down, which we'll talk about. So the point, whole point here this morning is this, is this phrase. Live, give God glory and live God's story. Give God the glory. Don't take the glory. God will not share His glory. He doesn't share His glory with anyone. No matter how popular they are. are. No matter how many followers on YouTube they've got. No matter how many likes they get on social media. No matter if they're recognized in the media or social media and worshipped by the church. No one will be shared the glory of God with. Our God is jealous and just. Our God is a jealous God. And what does that word jealous mean? The word jealous means zealous for that which rightfully belongs to him. Our worship, our love, our adoration rightfully belongs to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And he's just in that if anyone gives gives worship to anything or anyone else, there's justice to bring you back to that 
knowledge that, no, 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 God and God alone. Yahweh and Yahweh alone. He will be worshipped by those who are supposed to worship him. He doesn't share his throne. And living God's story. And what do I mean by that? His story. According to his way. Living this life according to his way. His truth. His life. Submitting to him in everything. That's why, we, that's why Solomon wrote these words in, in Proverbs. He wrote this words. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce that, of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. So let's get into this passage here a little bit. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on here. So we are back in Caesarea Maritima, which is that's the picture on the bottom of your sheet there. So just as a reminder, that this, so this was where Peter, if you remember, this is where Peter went uh, in, because he heard, the, you know, saw in a dream, uh, saw in the vision on, you know, on the seaside, this, this man, um, or the whole sheet and everything, right, uh, with all the animals coming down. He saw it three times. And he, he, these guys came from Caesarea here um, and led him back to Caesarea to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. <clears throat> and so, this is just as a reminder, this is a uh, main seaport for Judea for the Romans. This is the hub for the Roman Empire in the region. It's the main seaport for them to come in and out of. This is also where Paul will be imprisoned for two years, uh, in, in several years in the future. Um, this place was built by Herod the Great. Um, in, in commemoration for Caesar, hence the name Caesarea. Caesarea. Um, and so this was Herod Agrippa, the guy who we're talking about this morning. Herod Agrippa's grandfather built Caesarea. And as you can see there, we have just a few, a few interesting things. So we've got the, the theater here, which is kind of cool. In this picture, you can actually see that they still use it as a concert venue. Um, but they used to have a big wall right there and they'd have the actors with the, the masks on and people behind the wall speaking the lines, um, the theater, the entertainment, but it was also a judicial center as well. And then you see the, the hippodrome right here, the, the horse track right there, uh, or is that this might be this and like, and you know, the, the arena right here, like you see the, the, the stands. And then over here, this is the palace. This, this is the area where all the governing buildings and everything were. And right here, and either, you know, I think it's right here, like you can kind of see this curve here. There was a, 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 a around here, this was the ports. And they, they had this amazing technology that they would pour this concrete in and it would harden as it reacted with the water. And they built this massive seaport with these, with these walls that went all the way down to the seafloor and then went up in, in ginormous pillars. It was an incredible, incredible build. And you can kind of see right here that this was where the palace was. This is where Herod's palace was. This is like the, the pools up here and kind of rooms and, and ruins that come out here to this, this, uh, this peninsula right here. Um, 
And so the theater right there, which we'll talk about here, this is where we're talking about is this theater right here is, is where this narrative is centered. This is where they gather everyone. It was in the theater uh, to gather a large crowd. Um, and so, like I said, this was the Roman hub for the entire region. And what happens? Herod dies. Let's talk about it. Herod, <laughs> think about it. So verse 19, so we're looking at the, the, the state of, of Herod's mind here. So he is embarrassed <laughs> at, this, at this point. Because what happened right before this? Peter is miraculously set free. By the angels. He even doubles the guard of what was, you know, because they learned his lesson. He learned his lesson by only having two guards. He doubled it and had two people with him chained to him. And then, and two, two guards outside the door. And so he's embarrassed and others, you know, and, it's, and the other people's perception of his power over the region is diminished by Peter's escape. And that's why these guys die. Because oftentimes if the if, if someone escaped from prison, the guards, the one who, are, who is guarding them, receives the punishment that they were going to get. Whether it be lashes, whether it be a fine, whether it be death, they receive the judgment that the criminal was, gonna, was going to face if, if their prisoner escapes. Uh, and then we see that at the very end, that's when we see that Herod went down from Judea and went to Caesarea and stayed there. Um, so he was hoping to, you know, think about his embarrassment here. Like he was hoping to execute Peter in front of the whole nation of Israel. They were like advertising and they were like handing out little flyers like, come see the, ex- yeah, the execution of this Peter. Come see the annihilation of the way. Come see the snuffing out of the, of the followers of Jesus. Right? They were advertising it. They were popular, popularizing it. They were trying to get crowds and crowds together to come and see it. News had spread around the entire city. There was a buzz of anticipation of blood. Sound like the Romans with their gladiatorial arenas. But instead, Peter escapes and leaves Jerusalem and goes up to Caesarea. So at this point, it it introduces us to Herod in this situation that Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyrannside. Now, we're not told why. You know, we don't really know why. But, but then we start to see that the people are trying to regain favor. They're trying to regain favor. Why? Because they need food. Right? They, were the, they were the one, that, and Galilee and the whole area in that region, they, they relied upon, you know, Tyre and Sidon relied upon mainly the corn and the wheat that were grown in that northern region for their food supply. Uh, <clears throat> And so the people were trying as hard as they could to come in, and they won over Blastus, who this was, the, the word here um, for you know the, in charge of the king's bedroom. This is this is like personal assistant, but also like well beyond a personal assistant. This was someone who was very close personally, um, business wise, you know, economically, um, just this very close relationship had a lot of influence over Herod uh, because of the trust that he had built with Herod. And then what happens? So then we see um, Herod brings everyone together and he, uh, on the appointed day, dressed in royal robes, he is seated on the throne. And this word is actually the word for the bima seat. This is a judgment seat. This is a, a seat of, uh, you know, basically like he's saying, okay, Tyrion and Sidon people, I have come to, get, to give you my judgment. 
which it sounds like it was favorable. <laughs> um, and so they're at the theater in Caesarea and wearing, according to Josephus, he's wearing this, he says it says robes, but this robe is actually, as Josephus describes it, a robe made wholly of silver and of a contexture truly wonderful, which shone so brightly in the morning sun that the people hailed him as a god. Upon this, the king did not did not neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. And they descri- he describes the scene. Eusebius and and uh, Josephus describe the scene where where Herod looks up and he sees on a rope, kind of over him, he sees an owl, which is the harbinger or or a, 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 a an omen of death. And immediately. He is struck with stomach pains, searing stomach pains, and as they actually so Josephus describes this ailment very, um, very vividly, uh, but, but it's uh, very gross. But uh, so basically, like he he um, these stomach stomach pains came from abdominal abdominal worms um, that and was carried and he was carried away to his palace, probably around you know around the little peninsula area where he died five days later. In excruciating, excruciating pain. Um, so Jewish tradition is interesting to, to see this and how and why this story is depicted the way it is in such grave detail. I mean, they could have said that and Herod, and Herod died. Like, and that's it. And moved on. Right? But they didn't. They, they went on to describe this situation very clearly and very graphically. Why? Because Jewish tradition says that tyrants who persecute or persecuted, used to persecute God's people, were consumed by worms. Not just after they died, but that's what killed them. Like, for instance, if you know, if you know much about your history, um, Antiochus Epiphanes IV was the great persecutor uh, in, during the inter, intertestamental period, which if you've read, read a Catholic Bible, is what Maccabee, First and Second Maccabees talks all about. So it's this, t- this wrestling between the Jewish people and the Greeks. And there's a time where, where even they were, you know, they were forcing the Jewish priests to sacrifice pigs on the altar. And the old priests were like, no, absolutely not. This, we will not desecrate the temple. These new, these new young priests were like, we'll do it. And the old priest guy, he went and grabbed the sword from one of the, one, from one of the Greek soldiers, killed the Greek soldiers, and then went and killed the young priests who were about to offer the sacrifice. And thus began the Maccabean revolt which then led to the independence of Israel three years later to the day. And then eventually Antiochus, who was the Greek emperor at the time, who persecuted the Jewish people, was consumed by worms and died. And so this tradition of if you persecute God's people, you will be eaten by worms is very clear in this passage. But who are God's people that he's persecuting? It wasn't the Jews. It was the church. Who had he just killed and was about to kill at the Passover? The leaders of the church. God's people. So what is Luke trying to say here? That the church is the new Israel. The church is the people, the inherited, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the heirs of the promise of Abraham. We are the people of God. We are God's people. You mess with up, you mess with us, you get the worms. Is that, is that the horns? 
And so the one who did this, as it says, the angel of the Lord. And this angel of the Lord is typically known as the destroyer. This was the same destroyer that came and, 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 was, and, and killed the firstborn in Egypt in the, in the first plagues. This was the destroyer that went and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the same destroyer who fill in the blank. Look at all the scripture. And every time there was a destroyer mentioned in the Old Testament, that's who we're talking about. That's the angel that killed Herod. Struck him dead. The destroyer struck him down. He strikes down. He destroys those who think that their judgment, rather than Yahweh's, is final and authoritative. This is the context between behind Ezekiel chapter 28. It says, Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the Lord God says, Your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the sea. Yet you are a man and not God, though you have regarded your heart as that of a God. Remember, Yahweh does not share his throne. The ruler of Tyr in this passage is later revealed to be Lucifer himself. He enjoyed being worshipped rather than giving worship to Yahweh. And Herod fell into this same trap. Herod was deceived by the same spirit, by the same temptation. Being, you know, he enjoyed being worshipped. Like, you are, this is the voice, the, not the voice of a man, but the voice of a God. He's like, oh, that sounds good. I like that. Brush off my silver here. Brush off my silver here. Look at me. Angels faithful to Yahweh always said, or always say, stop it! When, they're, when people try to worship them. Look at the book of Revelation. I don't I think like three or four times. Like John tries to like bow down and worship the messenger angel that's giving him the, 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 the revelation. And the angel's like, stop it. I told you, stop it. Stand up. I am just a, I'm just a servant. Stop it. Worship him. Stop it. Worship him. Yahweh is, like I said, a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anyone. Not a God, not a human. Same with Herod here. But this is also a very promising and very encouraging passage to us. Why? Vindication. Protection. Persecution may last for a time, but God will bring vindication and justice. I love this quote from John Stott. He says, The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Woohoo! Such is the power of God to overthrow hostile human plans and to establish his own in their place. Tyrants may be permitted for a time to boast and blunder, oppressing the church and hindering the gospel, but they will not last. In the end, their empire will be broken and their pride cast down. Who loves a good dystopian movie? 
Book of Eli or Hunger Games, something where like there's massive uprising, something happening. Uh, what is it? The, this divergent and all these things where like all the world ends in this crazy atomic bomb or zombie apocalypse. You know, I am legend. You know, or something crazy like a great dysto- dystopian movie, right? The end of the world. But they always kind of crack me up. Even 1984. Anyone seen or, or read 1984? Yeah. It kind of cracks me up. Even thinking about that one. Even thinking about 1984 and someone's interpretation of the world. They paint a picture of the world without the worship of Jesus. As though somehow, some way, the kingdom of God will be stamped out or cease to be. And that just makes me chuckle. <laughs> Why? Because it's like as though the gates of hell have prevailed against the church. And we are no longer able to be the light of the world. Now, this may be me coming out of the non-premillennial closet here, but I don't believe that the church will be taken before the Great Tribulation. I think we and our suffering are the Great Tribulation where we, the church, suffer, as it says in the Bible, everywhere. We've seen great, great persecutions over and over again, which I'll talk, to, talk about here in just a second. But we've seen these things over and over again, all throughout history, where someone tries to destroy the church, someone tries to destroy God's people, and they get destroyed instead. I believe that we are taken and the end of all things is is right behind our being taken. There is no dystopian fallout future without the church being God's hope in the world. That's our purpose. To be God's hope in the world. God will bring justice and an end to those who persecute and oppress the church. Every time. Every time. I mean, think about it. Nero, a great oppressor of the church, burned a fourth of Rome and blamed it on the Christians and actually told Rome to rise up and kill the Christians. What happened? <laughs> After being completely rejected by the people of Rome, the Senate, and the military, he went and killed himself. Domitian, a great persecutor of the church in the, in the later, latter part of the first century, who claimed himself as Lord and God. He made everyone call him, my Lord, my God. This is the context behind the book of Revelation, by the way. He's the one who exiled John to the island of Patmos. He was assassinated after his government fell apart. Marcus Aurelius, I love this one. Marcus Aurelius, who actually was worse than Nero, even though he didn't call for a a massive execution of the church, what he did was he was basically like in, in America, like so we're American citizens, right? He basically, it's basically like it's comparable to um, he made every, every single Christian an outlaw overnight. If you claim the name of Christ, you no longer have the protections as a Roman citizen. Your citizenship has been revoked. All human rights have been removed. People can do whatever they want to you. And it was horrendous. What stinks because I really liked him in the movie Gladiator. Was Marcus Aurelius, but he was the worst persecutor of the church under Diocletian. But I love the way he died. <laughs> he ate a massive ton of Swiss cheese and died. He got sick from Swiss cheese and died. 
That was Domitio, um, uh, Marcus Aurelius. No, that was just the move for the movie. <laughs> Diocletian, the great persecution of the early 4th century. He got sick and then retired. Then his entire kingdom fell apart. Every, every person that was loyal to him left him. The ruler that he had set in his place was forced to kill himself. And then he got sick and died. Every single persecutor of the church has died in awful, horrible, horrendous, painful ways. God won't allow it. The church of Jesus Christ will stand forever. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ever. Jesus has built his kingdom upon the eternal rock of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like I said, the gates of hell and anyone or anything who tries to hinder it will not prevail. Yeah, they might kill you. That's all they can do. Never said that we wouldn't suffer for it. Never said that they wouldn't have permission to cause us bodily harm. But they can never touch our spirit. And in fact, if you look at the, the expansion of Christianity into Muslim countries, it's actually worked to our advantage to die. Sure. They, they watch how we die with such faith, and which, with, with, so, with such zeal and joy and love and compassion for our brothers and sisters who are being executed, praying for their executioners as they were being beheaded, praying for their executioners as they were being killed praying for their persecutors as they were being tortured, having acid thrown in their face, being, being butchered by machetes, being mutilated for the cause of Christ. And yet they saw their faith and many of them watched them as they were persecuting and killing them and came to faith in Jesus Christ later because of the way that they died. This has been our testimony since the beginning. Roman soldiers were coming to faith because of the faith of those who, were they, who they were killing, those who they were causing to be martyrs. The Roman, I mean, case in point, the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross who said, surely this man was the Son of God. This man. That title, Son of God, was only reserved for the Romans for, the, for Caesar. And so he was saying, Jesus is greater than Caesar. His allegiance right there at the foot of the cross changed. Why? Because of the way he died. He said, don't fear those who can only, you know, only kill the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's who our honor is for. That is who our respect is for. Because guess what? The church, we're here to stay. Why? Because our God created the world. Our God created humanity. Our God created even our persecutors. Our God created all things. He is above all things. Nothing has been created without Him. We're here to stay. As long as we give God glory. As long as we give glory to God and Him alone, 
giving God the glory that He deserves, as long as we do that, we will remain forever. The moment we stop giving glory to God and start receiving the glory ourselves is the moment that we lose. When we start to glorify ourselves and what we can create and what we can fashion, I've seen church time and time again where their pastor became a celebrity and the church you know, leadership became toxic because it became all about worshiping the pastor and the church, died, you know, the church died. I was at Mars Hill when it collapsed. I was there. It was not pretty. And I even remember talking to the people at the church and it almost, almost seemed in some senses like some of the people were like venerated him almost as like the son of God. I was like, oh, dang. It wasn't that the church was bad. It was just like some people had just kind of taken it to an unhealthy level. Don't get sucked into believing and agreeing with the enemy's prophecies of the future of this world. Because those things lead to fear. When we think about like dystopian futures and all these things that are put in like social media and the, and like the, you know, the mainstream media and news outlets and stuff like that, don't believe their prophecies of doom and gloom. Don't get sucked, you know, but, yeah, but rather get sucked in by God's prophecies and God's hopes for the world and people's need for Jesus Christ. That's what we should get sucked into. That's the glory of our faith. That's the glory, what? Of our lives. And the purpose for God saving us is to be the hope of this world, to be the light in the world. David Garland says this. He says, the point is that history is in the hands of God, not those who think that they compete with God and strut on the world stage and exploit others without remorse. They think that they are in control, but even if the gates of hell cannot withstand the gospel, the iron gates of tyrants are nothing. King Herod uh, Herod Agrippa I is not the first or the last ruler whose dazzling oratory and theatrical rallies deceive a nation and cause its people to deify their leader. Grand speaking, highfalutin speaking, (laughs) has a demonic ability to mesmerize the masses and instigate mass destruction. That is why the gospel is not based on eloquence eloquence and human wisdom or persuasive words that glorify the speaker rather than point to the cross. This can be found in 1 Corinthians 2. What he's talking about. We need to resist the temptation to venerate anyone, including me, guys, including me, to a level too high for their humanity. Even Paul tells us that God doesn't show partiality. Galatians 2 verse 6 says, Now from those recognized as important, well, what, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. The other way of saying this, that God does not show favoritism, is that God, it says that God is not a respecter of persons. Or as it literally says, God does not receive the face of man. Is, is the context behind that. God is not impressed by you. God is not impressed by me. God is not impressed by the works that we can do. What does it say? All righteousness that we can give him is like filthy rags. It's actually literally menstruation cloths. That's what the word means. 
That's what our righteousness, anything outside of our faith in Jesus, anything that we can try to give him is worth. It's not about our works. It's not about what we can give God. Paul even says, for God is not worshipped or, get, or, or you know, not uh, served by human hands as though he needed anything. For he gave to man life and breath and all things. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He fills you. He desires you. He loves you. He empowers you. He gives you authority. He gives you grace. He gives you strength. He gives you confidence. Why? Because he loves you. Because he chose to. Because he is God and you are not. So you must be the receiver of all things. In order to what? To then give all things to others. And that's the whole glory of the church. That's the reason for the, all the, you know, I said over a hundred times in just the New Testament, why it says one another. It's because he gives us so that we can give to one another. So that we may receive God from each other. We can receive his grace. We can receive his mercy. We can receive his healing. We can receive his strength. We can receive his, his encouragement. Like what? Building up the body. Bearing one another's burdens. Forgiving one another. Healing one another. Praying for one another. Encouraging one another. Edifying one another. All the one another's of the New Testament. That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit is to wield both his love, his encouragement, and his authority in this world. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul is making the point. Honor and respect people, but don't worship or venerate people in position. God will destroy or humble anything or anyone that we worship above him and him alone. Be it pastors, presidents, parents, bosses, supervisors, celebrities, self. He will destroy everything that we place over him. So what or who, is is my question here this morning, what or who have you placed yourself under? Who is your God? Does your God have a big G or a little G? Because here's my two favorite words, right? In all the Bible. But God. And that's how we end our, our time here, our passage here this morning. But the word of God, but God spread his gospel and multiplied the church. The word of God spread and increased. The church of Jesus Christ will indeed succeed and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because he is our God and we are his people. As long as he is our God and we submit to him as his people. Those who lash out against the church will be struck down. Like Herod, Herod broke out against the church and then God broke out against Herod. Peter Wagner, the, the, scholar, the, scholar, late, the late scholar said, when the demonic obstacles are cleared away, the church can grow. Unbelievers know, are no longer blinded 
by the God of this age, and they can now hear and respond to the gospel. This is the whole basis for this ministry that I've told you about called SPAN, the strategic prayer uh, network that we're a part of. It's all, and Peter Wagner is the guy who started all of this, the strategic prayer, uh, wielding the authority of God over the territorial spirits of our land and the world. And this is why he wrote this, because that's the reason why people, uh, why he started doing strategic spiritual warfare is to free the territory, to free the regions, to free the land from demonic forces. Because when the demonic forces are cleared away, the church can grow. When the demonic forces are, are cleared away, unbelievers are no longer blinded by that territorial spirit, by the God of this age. <clears throat> and they can now hear clearly and respond to the gospel. That's why we are participating in spiritual warfare in this region. That's why I'm engaging in spiritual warfare. And if you want to come war with me, let me know. I'd love to, to get, you in, get you hooked up with, with SPAN and go and take the class. S-P-A-N, Strategic Prayer Apostolic Network. And this is why we do SPAN. is so that the gospel can be released across this entire region. He actually tells a story in his book, in his commentary about Argentina. For three years, they were doing strategic level spiritual warfare, followed by uh, an 11-day crusade. <clears throat> and it's interesting. The, the priestess of the death cult... Um, called San La Muerte, the saint of death. There's a, this death cult that promised its worshipers a good death if they would worship this entity, this spiritual entity. And when they were heading down there, um, <laughs> so she accidentally lit her bed on fire and burned only three things, her, her mattress, and the idol that was on the nightstand. The rest of the house was completely scathed, you know, unscathed. Her assignment from the spirit of death had been to resist the evangelism and crusade from happening. And when she failed, the spirit world turned against her and killed her in a gruesome way by being burned alive. She did not have a good death. After this happened, after this whole thing happened and the, and the 11-day crusade happened, the followers of Jesus within this first week doubled in Argentina. And within two years, it increased by 500%. The gospel went nuts. And churches were planted all over Argentina. Because Jesus' desire is to deliver people. God's desire is for people to be delivered from bondage. Jesus does not desire that any should perish, but that all would come to a change of heart and mind, and worship Him, to put their faith in Him, trust Him, glorify Him, and be saved, to have eternal life, to be filled with His Holy Spirit, and to truly live. And that's why we give God glory, and we live God's story because remember god give you know give god the glory don't take the glory he doesn't share his glory our god is jealous and just 
We will wor- we, he will be worshipped by those who are supposed to worship him. That's us. He doesn't share his throne with anyone. So we live his story according to his ways, according to his truth, according to his life, submitting to him in everything. And we worship him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Glorify him so that you may be saved. Have eternal life. Be filled with this Holy Spirit. And truly live. To live a life fully alive. To live a life that's truly human. The way that God created it to be. Lord, we thank you for your glory. That you are glorified. Lord, we, we pray that you are glorified in everything. Through our worship of you, Lord, through our coming together and, and building up the spiritual house as living stones. Lord, we, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that you will raise us up in the right time. Lord, you are our God. Jesus, you are our God. We worship you and we acknowledge you as God. And Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our finances. We trust you with our relationships. We trust you with our physical safety. We trust you with our emotional safety. Lord, we trust you with our mental safety, God, that we would not be distracted by the philosophies and prophecies of this world, but Lord, that you would bring us back Bring our minds back. Bring our hearts back to you. Help us to focus on you, Lord Jesus, and your word, your hope, your future, your joy in this world as we look forward to eternal life in your kingdom. Lord, we live that eternal life now in your kingdom called the church. Lord, glorify your son on earth. Glorify yourself through your people and draw us close in relationship with you, Lord. As you have said that you have seated us with you in the heavenly realms, Lord. Draw us into that communion with you every single day and draw us into that communion here this morning as we take communion around the table. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.